0: you write your first book to write your second book to write your third book and then maybe maybe you'll get some traction and some following but you don't write one book and think it's going to be a hit you you have to do a second and a third book to maybe gain some traction the thing about book writing is it's never been easier to self-publish a book uh than it is now like 10 years ago hardly anyone self-published books you had to go through a big company to get behind you. Now anybody can self-publish a book. So the, the downside is there are a lot more books for sale now competing with your book than there's ever been. So that's the downside. There's more books, but it's easier to write it.
1: Have you ever wondered what it's like working in investment banking? Or what about self-publishing a book? How does that process work? Well, today's guest is going to tell us about his journey and how he used a situation in his own life to fulfill a lifelong passion of...
2: What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? life? (coughs) Understandably, a tough question for any 20-something to answer. So join me, your host, Taylor Marks, of the Rise Year podcast, as I talk with some cool people about what they do and occasionally go on long rants of my own about the pains of growing up.
1: Today's guest is Paul Samra, an author, certified life coach, and investment expert. In the episode, we discussed how growing up, his aptitude for numbers and analytical thinking led him initially down the path of investment banking. And then flash forward to now, how he has recently gotten into writing books and life coaching.
0: I grew up in South Florida, went to Florida State, graduated with a degree in economics and a minor in business, and I took a lot of Spanish. And uh, after college, I'd been in the investment world Mostly and banking for 24, 25 years, and with different firms. So my area of expertise is investments and banking.
2: What got you into investments and banking?
0: Well, I mean, I had an interest in that, and uh, my first job out of college. Let's see, I moved. I moved up to Boston after college because I had family up there, and a lot of the investment firms are up there, along with New York, and so. My first job out of college was working for uh, an investment firm, MFS Investments. They're a big mutual fund uh, company. And uh, so I pretty much have been in the investment world ever since I got out of college uh, because I have an aptitude and interest in it. I still do. And, um, you know, so I I just gravitated towards it because I, I found myself. You know very interested and in, I read a lot of books about it and stuff like that in retrospect if I could turn the clock back probably would have studied psychology uh, because I had an interest in psychology in high school but for some reason I didn't see myself making a living in psychology and I, I wish I would have gotten some better counseling but I guess you could say my side gig which is writing books is kind of brought me back to psychology but
2: okay Um, So if you had better counseling, like from a career counselor or like a coach in college, you think psych would have been the right move for you? Okay.
0: Yeah, I was actually, I remember in high school, I subscribed to a magazine called Psychology Today and I was like really interested in it. But I think the reason I did not major in psychology was I had a lousy high school teacher uh, in psychology Mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't want to be like him. (laughs) and (laughs) so but I should have you know and and, you know when you're 16 17 18 years old you're not clear about what you want to do but I had a definite interest in psychology and had I gotten counseling from somebody like gone to see a psychologist and interviewed them uh, maybe I would have changed my mind I actually after college after I graduated I went and interviewed a stockbroker ask her about her business and and I was very interested in what she was doing and so that propelled me but I should have gone to see maybe a psychologist you know to get some background information about you know what I needed to do what what the job is really like things like that because I think I would have been really good at it
2: Hmm. that'd be interesting would you ever consider going back to school now I don't
0: know Uh, it gets harder when you're over 50. Um, I I guess I get my fulfillment from from writing books and you know writing this first book was a huge challenge it took me seven years to complete it and get it published and get it on Amazon and luckily the reviews are good so that really inspired me to write this second book which I'm writing now which is going to be a lot better Uh, and Getting on TV a couple of times was nice uh, to talk about my book. So now I kind of have the whole picture in my head as to what I need to do uh, as far as how to get the book done, how to approach people in the TV world or radio world or podcast world. So I, I think for now, this is fine. I, I I really don't see myself going back to school, honestly. I've thought about it, but I, yeah. I don't think I'll do it. Yeah. You know?
2: Were you writing the book at the same time as you were working full time?
0: Yeah, I did. And uh, I didn't really take it too seriously at first, but I was single at the time. I'm now married for three years. And so I started to, you know, just write my book while I was dating. And, you know, all the observations I made in the dating world, it's very different when you're dating over 40 versus in your 20s like you are. So... Uh, I started to write down a lot of observations and things. Thought, well, this might be a decent book. Um, might have enough material here to put a book together. And once I started dating my now wife, uh, that's when it all came together. Uh, and um, so it really made a lot of sense. It, it, it's sort of like my book is sort of like GPS. It gets you from point A to point B. You know, so like if you're single and unattached and you want to find your life partner, but you've made poor choices in the past or you made too many emotional decisions, that's my audience for my book is to help you help people that make emotional decisions about finding their life partner, maybe made bad choices in the past, didn't know when to get out of a bad relationship, things like that. My book, even though it uses poker as a metaphor, the poker as a metaphor is meant to get you from point a to point b like gps
2: what made you come up with the idea of using poker to kind of help people think about dating
0: well i watched a few poker movies and uh there's a movie by steve mcqueen called the cincinnati kid and uh it that's when i got the idea it's like okay poker is a way to measure you know when you're playing poker you know exactly what the score is when you play any sport, you know exactly what the score is. But in dating, you don't know what the score is. You don't know really where you stand in a relationship. It's all up here in your head and your emotions. And so I thought, well, maybe this might work. I connected some dots that poker might give you a way to score or keep track of where you really are in the relationship. And so the whole idea is to date and not encounter uh, red flags that are going to cause the relationship to end. And if you don't, like I did with my now wife, and get to the end, which is the royal flush, which is the 10, Jack, Queen, King, Ace of hearts, if you get to the end and you have that, then you may have found your life partner. And that's exactly what happened to me.
2: Are you drawing just from personal experience, like when you're writing the book, or were you Running an experiment with other people or how'd that process go?
0: I actually interviewed uh, a number of FSU students. I and, I and I also used my own experience in asking questions about women that I was dating prior to meeting my wife, uh, most of which were 40-something divorcees with kids. And so they, a lot of women, when they're divorced in their 40s, they just spill everything <laughs> to you when they go out on a date, because they will tell you everything that was bad about their ex-husband. So I learned so much from my own experience and just asking questions of women that I dated. But I also asked women that I didn't date questions that were divorced, you know, people with women that were divorced, men that were divorced. So it is, it does lean heavily towards helping people that are divorced and want to date again and want to get it married again. But it's also extremely helpful for people that are single and never married. I have an entire chapter in there on dating for college students. And um, one of my regrets is that when I uh, was at FSU, that I didn't make it a priority to find my life partner. And I, it, what's amazing to me is how many women on campus. <laughs> have admitted to me how frustrated they are with the men on campus that they, they would like to meet their life partner, not necessarily get married while they're at FSU, but at least find their life partner before they graduate. I was just stunned at the responses I got from women that were seniors that was like, oh, I wish I could have met my life partner while I was on campus here. And, and that's the way I feel. That's the biggest single regret of my life was even though i'm happily married now yeah. <laughs> if if i was really prioritizing i mean i mean i made it a huge priority to get my degree some of my friends from high school didn't get their degree they didn't finish which was mind-boggling in itself but i wish i would have had a second priority on campus which is to find my life partner before i left campus because i've met couples that were uh that met at FSU and eventually got married uh, after school. And they're usually very happy. And I I wish I would've done that. The more you have in common, the more likely it is that you're gonna have a happy marriage. Now my wife and I have a lot in common, but we have a lot of differences, but we're still happily married. But I think somebody that goes to the same school at the same time, has a definite advantage because you have that in common when you leave school.
2: Did you always want to write a book or was this kind of something like once you started dating and you saw these these issues or these common themes kind of arise, you got the inspiration and then you thought, oh, this might be good to write a book.
0: I Well, I've always liked writing and reading. Uh, I'm a big reader and I've always liked writing. And I, like I said, I kind of just, it just sort of fell together by accident, more or less. It's like, you know, all this material I got, you know, from asking questions of people, single people, divorced people, all ages. It's like, this could be a book. This could be an interesting book. And so it more or less fell together by accident. Whereas now, because I understand the whole process of putting a book together, what it entails, now it's easy to write my second book in fact, uh, I, when I became a certified life coach, I went to the training, and my my coach uh, wrote three books. And so I asked him a lot of questions about it. And he said, number one, you write your first book to write your second book to write your third book. And then maybe, maybe you'll get some traction and some following. But you don't write one book and think it's going to be a hit. You You have to do a second and a third book to maybe gain some traction. The thing about book writing is it's never been easier to self-publish a book uh, than it is now. Like 10 years ago, hardly anyone self-published books, you had to go through a big company to get behind you. Now anybody can self-publish a book. So the, the downside is there are a lot more books for sale now competing with your book than there's ever been. So that's the downside. There's more books, but it's easier to write it.
2: How do you separate your book and your ideas from all the other ones out there about dating?
0: Yeah, so that's a good question because when I wrote this book, I went into Barnes & Noble and I went on Amazon and I made sure, okay, is there anybody else out there that's got my idea, that's writing about my idea, my core idea? And they weren't. And so I thought, okay, nobody's written about this before from the angle that I wrote about it. I thought, well, maybe let's push ahead and do it because nobody else has thought of this before. And so my second book, which is in my, you know, it's it's about halfway done. Again, nobody's written about it before. It's about dating and relationships, but it's a lot more simple. It's not, I don't use poker as a metaphor. Anyway, I, I did my research and nobody else was doing what I was doing. So I thought, okay, let's go ahead and push ahead with this.
2: Yeah, and so you mentioned that you were a certified life coach. When did you do that?
0: I did that last year, uh, and I I went through it uh, because I wanted to get the training that I felt like I needed to help prepare me to publish my book. I actually did it so that it would better prepare me, to, and it was. It was extremely helpful in me organizing my book because I learned about life coaching and what it entails. And I I just felt like I needed to do that. And also I I somewhat thought about doing life coaching. I haven't actually implemented that yet, but I could do it at any time if I want to. Uh, But right now I I don't have the time to do that between my full-time work and banking and, and my book writing.
2: What does an average day look like for you then?
0: I, I work for a bank and, uh, and I work from home 40 hours a week, and uh, it's a call center type work, and I work with people that have trust accounts, bank accounts, IRA accounts, things like that. It's a little bit different than what I was doing previously, uh, because most of my work has been in the brokerage investment world, so I'm not really in the investment world right now, but the the plus side is that I don't have the compliance restrictions that I had, in the Once once you're a licensed, Series 7 licensed in the brokerage world, then you have to answer to compliance for your outside business activities. One of the reasons I left my previous job with Merrill Edge, which is part of Bank of America, is that the compliance team wouldn't let me publish my book. So I had to make a decision, which is, do I want to publish my book now or do I want to wait or whatever? And I decided to go ahead with it. Uh, and leave my job thinking that I would get back into a full-time working role pretty soon once my book was done and that's more or less what I did and so I'm in the banking world now and I don't have the same restrictions that I have so I can go ahead and publish books on the side I don't have to answer for my outside business activities so
2: so they're very strict on what you do outside of work when you're in the brokerage
0: business, yes. Yeah. And if you have a series, a license, like the series seven is the most common, uh, you have to uh, answer to the government, basically. You well, You answer first to your employer, and then your employer has these government regulations. And one of the reasons they have strict, uh, they have these kind of restrictions in the investment world is that you're ha- you have access To a lot of sensitive information, you know, you're, you're, you you have access to hundreds of millions of dollars worth of people's accounts, their social security number, everything, everything about them. And so they have to make sure that uh, any outside business activity that you're doing doesn't conflict with your, with your job. Even though my book didn't conflict with my job, they didn't They didn't allow me to do it because they felt like well maybe somebody might misconstrue that this is the opinion my book is the opinion of bank of america which it's not okay it has nothing to do with bank of america
2: if you got approached by a stranger and they asked you what you do and you had 30 to 60 seconds to describe to them what you do what would you say
0: so i um, i answer questions about banking and. Retirement products and trusts, and I also self-publish books on dating and relationships. In a nutshell, that's really what I do. All
2: right. If you had a book written about you, what would the title of the book be?
0: Uh, I. That's a good question. I don't know. They probably one of my one of my uh, passions is is trading stocks. Mm-hmm. And I still do it, and I've been doing it for 24 years. So they probably would want to write about that, which is how how to trade stocks.
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then would you yeah. start? Where would you start for beginners? For people that don't know anything about stocks, what would you suggest?
0: You know, it's so everything has changed so much over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, there was no such thing as. What they call etfs or exchange traded funds where they basically put a basket together of stocks that are in the same category and they trade as one entity there wasn't any algorithms and uh, high frequency trading and so it's really more difficult today than it's ever been to trade uh, on a short-term basis uh because 15 years ago, 20 years ago, all stocks traded on their own individual merit, their own chart, their own earnings, forecasts, things like that. So, you know, whatever Apple or Google or Amazon or Netflix said was how that stock traded. It was all based on their individual earnings. But now you have these complicated high-speed frequency algorithms that move the market up and down like a yo-yo, as we saw in March, you know, on one one day alone in March, the Dow Jones Industrial went down 2,000 points, Mm -hmm. which is unbelievable. Uh, And that was all because of the high-frequency algorithms that were responding to the pandemic and the fear of the pandemic. So it's more complicated than it's ever been. And so the dropout rate is extremely high. I think what most people ought to do, 99% of the public ought to do is not trade. They should just dollar cost average into their mutual funds or stocks and by dollar cost averaging. What that is, is like what people do in their 401k, which is every paycheck, you know, three, four 5% of their pay goes into a couple of mutual funds. And so what they're doing is they're, some months they're buying a lot of that mutual fund. And some months they're buying less of it depending on where the market is and so i think dollar cost averaging like people do in a 401k is is really the only option for most people because otherwise it's just too risky yeah. It's like you, you might as well go to vegas <laughs> <laughs> honestly if you don't know what you're doing and even if you do know what you're doing and you have a lot of experience at it it can be like going to vegas
2: Vegas sounds a little bit more fun, a little bit more <laughs> entertainment does. thrown in there rather than just yeah. the, your trajectory. So like when you left college into, well, up until like where you are now, um, what was kind of like your path? Was it like a set in stone path or did you kind of like you got to a point in the job where you decided, okay, like I'm going to move on, like, or maybe this is the next step up and then kind of like climbing a ladder in that sense. What was that like for you?
0: Yeah. Good question, so when I left college, uh, I knew that I really, the, the, the investment firms, because I majored in economics and minor in business, they, I knew the investment firms were not in Florida, they were not in South Florida. And so I had, uh, and still do have a lot of relatives, the Boston area. So if you're in the investment world, there's really a few places to go where there's a lot of firms that'll consider hiring you, New York, Chicago, and Boston, and maybe LA. But the only choice for me was Boston because I had family there. And so that's where I began. I said, okay, I'm gonna find one of these investment firms to try and work for to get some real world experience. And that's what I did.
2: And then after that, were you just like building your way up into like the company or did you switch companies and get like a different position or what was that like?
0: Yeah. So, well, what I I realized after a few years up there, I wasn't that happy uh, for a variety of reasons. I felt like a fish out of water up there. It's like there's certain places you can move to and you feel like this isn't really where I want to be. So uh, I ended up Uh, Taking a detour, moving to Atlanta, working for a telecommunications firm for quite a few years, a healthcare firm, before I ended up coming back to investments and finance in Orlando, ironically. So I, I ended up going to Orlando because somebody gave me some good advice. They said, you need to go to work for Charles Schwab in Orlando. Okay. I didn't even know Schwab had an office in Orlando. So they had a call center there. And so that ended up being great advice.
2: So would childhood you be happy with where you are now and what you're doing?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think overall, yes. But on, on the other hand, no. My other passion around the ages that you mentioned was uh, sports and reading the sports section. And I thought maybe I should aspire to be a sports writer And so I also thought of that in addition to psychology. And I think that had I done that, I would have been happier than what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm okay with what I'm doing now. It's just that it's not a burning passion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think I would have had more of a burning passion for either being a psychologist or a sports writer than somebody that's, you know, good with investments and stocks and things like that. I don't know.
2: What made you push aside the sports writing idea?
0: I think I found out that they didn't make much money. I think somebody, uh, either I read a book or something, or somebody told me they don't make any money. And I thought, well, do I really want to go into something, even though it's fun, that doesn't make any money? And I think that's what turned me off.
2: Would you say, so if you were giving advice to say a high schooler college kid or something um would you try and sway them against going into something that's maybe not their passion but pays more money versus something that's their passion but pays less money
0: well that's an excellent question uh i think by the time you're a junior or senior in high school you pretty much know what you're passionate about and if there's a way to make a a good living with something that you're passionate about then do that if you're passionate about something and you're not going to be able to make a decent living then get some counseling about that because you know you may may not understand all the parameters but i think there's a balance between finding something you're passionate about and something you're you're good at and also being able to make a decent living Uh, Mm um so like if you're if you're passionate about biology and and medicine and helping people then you'll have no problem making a living as a doctor although a lot of people are coming out with quarter of a million dollars in student loans that is a red flag so
2: Mm -hmm.
0: that's one thing that's really
2: but now you have everything with self self self-publishing kind of under wraps and you kind of know the ropes
0: yeah the the whole it's a whole mosaic, and it's like okay. When I started out, I had no clue what I was doing or who to approach to help me. And now I have all that in my head. It's like okay, I know who to reach out for this reason, that help, and so forth, and who who to go to to publish it, and you know how to edit it, and all the, all those things. There's so many different variables in getting a book put together. You know, designing the cover. Yeah, you know, all all kinds of stuff. So I have all that now down.
2: What was the biggest resource for you for learning all these tools? Like how'd you figure out who to talk to and kind of what to do next in the process?
0: So there, there are a number of self-publishing companies out there now that work with people like myself that want to self-publish. And kind of like a cafeteria, you know, you, you pay a little bit for this service. Like let's say you want them to edit it you pay for that. You, let's say you want them to design the cover. You pay for that. So whatever you need done, it's all out of carte and you pay them to do it for you. Um, but at the same time, you have to. It's my responsibility as the writer to submit it with no errors, no, you know, uh, errors that are leaving out commas or hyphens or, you know. So you have to do all that yourself then submit it and then they edit it but you still ha- it's still your responsibility to make sure it doesn't have any proofread errors
2: interesting that's a pretty cool process i mean i think it's becoming more popular now all right so if you had 24 hours to live unlimited money and could travel anywhere at the snap of your fingers what would you do
0: well my wife and i are going to las vegas in august and i would say you know she's never been there i've been there once Mm-hmm. And I would say that would be, you know, a great trip. It's going to be a great trip for her. She's super excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I am too. So I'll I'll take Las Vegas, you know, oh, given yeah. the pandemic. If there was yeah. no pandemic, I would say for sure Italy. If there was no pandemic.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Any place in particular in Italy or kind of just drive around the whole country?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say uh, Florence or maybe Milan or you know, Rome. I mean, you know, there's a lot of places. I, I've never been there. So all we, we've watched a lot of YouTube videos about it. But we we want to go there.
2: So the last question is the title of the podcast. So it's called What's Next. Um, so you kind of have talked about it. You're writing your second book, but you can choose to answer it however you want. So just like what's next for you? Like, do you want to do more with the life coaching or write more books after the second one? Like kind of, However you want to answer it.
0: Right. I'd like to get to the point, you know, besides what I've talked about in writing my my book where I could coach people on how to trade stocks.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: I'm not comfortable doing that yet because it you know, it, it involves people risking their own money. And I I've tried I've gone back and forth in my head, well, how can I do this? And there are a number of people that post YouTube videos, but they all have these long legal disclaimers and I just thought it's too much trouble to do that because too many people get into trouble and it's not an exact science it's it's much more of an art than it is a science i'm going to stick to something safer like writing books
2: i mean not a bad option you could write books about trading
0: trading yeah that's true
2: my two takeaways
1: from my conversation with paul are first The importance of shadowing and seeking outside knowledge about potential careers in order to have a solid baseline of the pros and the cons about what the career is like before you get into it and invest your time. And the second is using issues you face in your own life to help solve problems and provide solutions for others.